We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome into a March Madness edition of Floyd Street's Finest. It is March 1st. Alongside Coach Mark Lieberman, I'm Jack Grossman. Welcome to the great month of March. A month that, well, at least in Louisville, used to mean a lot of fun and excitement. Um, maybe not this year. Of course, there's the probable... Maybe, huh? Co- yeah, yeah, the probable impending coaching search that that is uh, quite possibly coming. Eric Crawford had... Kind of the tidbit on that day, you know, two more weeks, four more games is kind of where they're at with Kenny Payne here going forward. But coach cards lose to Duke on Wednesday night. We'll get to that and some stuff there. But I want it, you know, since it is March 1st, that's a good excuse for us to, you know, kind of sit here and talk about a couple of things that have been very pertinent in the college basketball world that I, that I kind of would like your thoughts on. And, sure. and I think you might disagree with me on a couple of these. So, so I think we could have some fun with that. First thing, obviously Louisville played Duke on Wednesday, probably the number one storyline from that game had nothing to do with the actual contest. Duke obviously rolled Louisville, but was Kyle Filipowski returning from the court storming injury suffered against Wake Forest this past Saturday coach, what are your thoughts on just this whole fiasco with the court storming stuff and where the sport has, has kind of just exploded the last couple of months over, over court storming and all that. Yeah. I, I, I might be old school when it comes to all of that. I love the pageantry, the, you know, just all the stuff that goes along with, with college sports and, and, and that stuff is, is really cool. Having said that the, the court storming, having said that you look at, the students now, and I'm more concerned for even student safety because it's not like you're, you're rushing to, to the, to your team and, and trying to lift them up. Everybody's just holding a camera up in their phone and it's TikTok and it's images. And, and I'm more worried about the, the students getting trampled because they're not paying attention to anything that's happening. Because if you look at the close up video of even the Wake Forest Duke game, it was just every single student wasn't concerned with, the, the victory as much, it was more of, okay, let me get myself a, a, a TikTok with, with this or that. So they could get trampled by a six, nine power forward. And then that, that becomes an issue. Um, it, it's going to stop. Um, I, 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 they're going to put an end to it because of 
of what happened. And obviously with Filipowski, it was something very minor, but you were just, you know, you're just, you're, you're playing with fire when, when it comes to all that, because like I said, whether it's a student that gets injured or somebody else, it's just the way of the, of the times, Jack. Um, am I for it? I, I, I don't have a strong opinion because I love it. I, I think it's part of the, the stuff that just is magical about college sports, but there are some major risks involved. Yeah, that, that that's um, I mean, I, I look at it. It's something that's incredibly fun. I think it separates college sports from the professional mm-hmm. game. It's a very unique feeling of storming a court or in college football, storming a field. Uh, uh, Chris Russo brought up a great point a couple of days ago on first take saying, you know, the Duke fans weren't complaining when they had thousands of fans mobbing the football field when they beat Clemson last year, year and year, which is true. And they didn't like Clemson get off the field or anything like that. But to me, mm-hmm. I think there's a very simple solution that, you know, everyone blows everything out of proportion because that's what we do in society in 2024. And, and, mm-hmm. and it goes from zero to, you know, you can't do it. You know, Greg Burns, the Alabama athletic director saying you got to, you know, forfeit the game if if your fans start the court, which is completely idiotic. I mean, people say that they should arrest play- fans who, who storm the court. Stupid. Here's all you have to do. I was at a Georgia Tech, North Carolina game a couple about six weeks ago. Georgia Tech wins the game, upsets then I think they ranked third North Carolina. And 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 a crazy thing happened. Security kept the fans from storming the court until after North Carolina left the floor. It only took 15, 20 seconds. And then once they got into the tunnel, everyone stormed the court and had their fun. You know, Creighton Yukon, this got publicized when when Creighton upset Yukon a couple weeks ago. They roped off a section of the court to where both teams could shake hands and UConn could get off the court safely. And the, and everyone stormed the court immediately. Why don't we just do that? Why not just say, yo, give them the 15, 20, 25 seconds, whatever they need to get off the court. Also, it appears like someone's doing lawn maintenance outside my apartment here. I don't know if that's coming. Can't hear it. At all. No, it's right, not. Perfect, perfect, perfect. But why not? Why not just give them a very quick amount of time. You can skip the post-game handshakes. You know, no one needs them in this spot. Just get the team off the court and say, then then the suits can go have their fun, storm the court, and we can stop blowing this way out of proportion. I mean, you would have thought Kyle Filipowski had his knee cut off the way people were talking last week. And yes, that was incredibly scary. That could have been really, really bad for both Filipowski and Duke. But the fact of the matter is he came back and played against Louisville and had nine points, ten rebounds, six assists in 30 minutes. <laughs> I mean, I, I do feel like it's yeah. been – I, I get it that there's real risk there, and people did kind of do the same thing with Caitlin Clark earlier in the year. But I, I think there's very easy ways to get around a door. You can still, you know, let the kids have their fun and be able to have those magical moments that, you know, a lot of schools, that that's their highs. I mean mm-hmm. – I, I look, I'm not, a, I'm not, like I said, I am not, uh, you know, the Grinch here as far as this goes. <laughs> oh, I know you're not. And, and I know your point. And, and I heard whether it's the shot clock, put a shot clock on and it runs down. Yeah, I know Doster had that, that right. on the national but, show. But, right. But there's so many X factors. There, there is. And, you know, you might have not enough security at, at, at one of these games. And they, you might not be able to control every variable with every fan. And all of a sudden they storm before the, the shot clock is run out. 
So yeah, it, it's it's perplexing um, because yeah, uh, you see the pugnants and everybody's like, well, it's like all good things come to an end, and and unfortunately, I think it is. I, I do not disagree with some of the things you're saying, but I think there's just there's too much liability in 2024. Unfortunately, that's what the world has become. That you know, it could become litigious if if one student is is. And I'm not even talking about the players. I'm talking about because it's it, it's changed, and and you know you're getting on the court, and I, I'm telling you, it's a different animal. They're they're more concerned with let me get my my time on the camera and whatnot. So, Jack, unfortunately, I think the pageantry of storm court uh, uh, storming the court is going to come to an end uh, rather well- soon. Where do you stand on the people that politic? Um, it, it, it's, it's a similar argument, but same broad topic. Uh, I know Louisville fans a lot of the times traditionally have acted like we're above storming the court. Like Kentucky fans do the same thing. thing, And, you know, people criticize teams like, oh, you know, you, you, that team was only ranked 12th in the AP poll. Why are you storming the court against them? Where, where, where do you mm-hmm. stand on like when you should storm the court? Well, I just think it's any time that you have a fan base and it's really student fan base that is really excited about it and yeah. you upset a, a ranked team. Like you're you're really not going to probably see one. When I was at Louisville, I mean, number one, the fan base is a lot different. It's it's there are students, but it's more of an older fan base and, and whatnot. So, you know, they're more interested in, OK, let's go celebrate, go get a, a, a beverage and go somewhere in, in the good old days of Louisville basketball. So that. You know, it depends about your fan base, but I think you, when, when teams aren't accustomed to getting those big wins and you beat a top five team and you have, a, you know, a lot of students at the game and you, you've had a, a theme maybe, and so you get even more of the student body out there, of course you're going to have um, uh, 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 that situation and you're going to have uh, um, them storm the court. But, um, yeah, some, some of the, the blue bloods, you just don't see it. But, like, even in Kentucky situation and just, like, uh, Louisville's you, you have a different fan base yeah so you're probably not going to have um no matter how big a win it is yeah and, that, and, and that's and that's one of the things I always look at I mean the one time Louisville did actually have somewhat of a court storm was the last game in Freedom Hall you know they upset Syracuse sure. huge huge mm-hmm. game and it's still just you know a little pitter-pattering of maybe 100 200 exactly. students on the right. court it's just not the same thing as you know exactly Wake Forest this past week with a huge ass crowd with all that stuff. I I honestly I get sick of people trying to quantify the court storming or like the field rushing and, and for the football counterpart, just because I used to be that guy, you know, growing up up in Louisville, kind of having that mindset that that going to Indiana, a school that you know obviously has the famous court storm against Kentucky and has rushed the court a couple other times. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know if it's right or wrong, but I remember my sophomore year they were playing Michigan State. I was sitting. Uh, this was before I was actually covering the team. I was actually just there as a fan and I'm sitting in like the eighth, ninth row and the bleachers behind one of the baskets. And they're about to win the game upset a Michigan state team that, that was going to make the final that ended up making the final four that year with Cassius Winston, Kenny Goins, Matt McQueen, McQuaid, those guys. Everyone's talking yeah. about, yo, storm, we're going to storm, storm the court. I'm sitting there like, why you're Indiana basketball. This Michigan state team's good, but like you beat them before. What, what are we doing here? But you know what happened? A weird thing happens. The game ends. I wasn't going to be the only person to not storm the court. 
<laughs> so I gotta be like a lot of that stuff just kind of get thrown out there, and I think it's more so just college kids having fun. And I think yeah, that's a lot whatever, of it. Sure. Whatever, whatever aspect you look at the court storming stuff, I I just think it's part of you know that experience of being in college when you have a big win and to be able to do that and to have fun with that. So. I don't know. Just it, it, it's been a hot button topic, so I want, especially with Louisville playing Duke, and it actually, you know, ties into U of L a little bit. But there's that was the only thing people really cared about that Louisville Duke game on a national level. For number two, I want to get your thoughts on the '96 team expanded expanded tournament. I that that's been very much a hot button topic as well. The last cup, the last months or so, the thought of ex- ex- expanding the basketball tournament. It is March Madness now, so it's going to take the forefront. The classic sixty-eight team field again. I have a thought on this that I feel like no one's talked about. But before I get to that, I want I want to see what you think um, on just the thought process of expanding the tournament. If so, how many teams? If it's a good idea or a bad idea, just all that stuff. Yeah, I, I'm I'm kind of in a, in a position where um, I, I I'm sorry about that, Jack. Yeah, I'm I, I like the field as it is. I, I I think it's I think it it brings drama. I think it brings excitement. I think it brings okay. You've got to do you know your part to to get in. I I think the field is great. I mean, we want to change everything. Everything wants to you know with with expansion and and, and whatnot. I, I think it's. I, I think the field, how it's, how it's presented since I was a kid, you know, and it was, it, you know, now it's the 68 and you have the first four and whatnot. Um, I don't think it needs to go on, but I'm very, uh, I'm very excited to hear what, 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 uh, what you've concocted here about the, uh, the, yeah. the, First of all, I'm pleasantly, I'm pleasantly surprised that, that you, that you don't want it to expand, expand it just because coaches seem more often than not, the coaches have wanted to see it ex- expand, which I don't blame them from the standpoint of, you know, there's more spots. Uh, you have more of an opportunity to make it. And if you make the tournament more often, you're less likely to, you know, face the hot seat and then those types of I things. I understand that, Paul. Things All as well. But, I understand. I just I, don't want to di- dilute what we have. Um, exactly. I like how it's set up. And I think I think you still have those underdogs. So I, I still think the number is fine. But I, I'm interested to hear what you yeah, have to say. Because I'm, I'm right there with you. I am incredibly against expanding the NCAA tournament. It's absolutely perfect the way it is. And the thought process I have is what are the things people use to say, oh, we can expand the tournament. We can get more, you know, viewership. We can get, you know, extend March Madness by an extra week or two. I just don't think there's that much of an appetite for for the general sports fan for more March Madness. The thing I look at is since 2011, we've had the first four which has kind of been this nugget thrown out there, this test piece to see if people want to watch more NCAA tournament basketball. And this isn't, you know, the top of the line teams we're watching. These are the type of teams that we'd be getting in if we expanded the tournament either to 80 teams, which is more first fours or 96 with another 32 teams. And I look at it, here's the first four ratings. They've the the 2021 COVID tournament where they did the first four mm-hmm. on the same day and they had two you know very traditional powers which is unusual for the first four UCLA and Michigan State playing in a game that's the highest rated first four ever and that's at about two million it dropped to one point seven eight five eight million the next year and then again to just uh one point three eight million in 2023. And that's pretty much where it's been traditionally somewhere 
around the million mark to 1.3, 1.4 million. You compare that to the first weekend of the NCAA tournament and the rest of the NCAA tournament. Since 2013, the NCAA tournament on average has had 9.4 million viewers per, mm-hmm. per weekend. It, it just pales in comparison to what the actual bracket does. And for me, this thought process of you're going to add in a bunch of worse teams, I have thoughts on that also because it was really – when ESPN showed the bubble graphic of here, here would be the last four in first four out. If we're going to be, and I got some numbers on these teams also on, on if the, if it was, if it was a 96 team field, I'm like, we don't need this. We don't need, no. no one's asking for, you know, LSU or Maryland or Miami to be in the NCAA tournament this year. And I think if you were to ask, you know, the coaches of these teams and say, and put them on a lie detector test, they would probably say we're not NCAA tournament teams. You know, there there's something you have to earn. There's yeah. something that, that that's part of it. And so, and by expanding and, and, and getting some teams in that have not done, you know, what, what they were set out to do, like you said, and then there's the NIT. So you have a week of, of other basketball that, that's going on as well. So it's not like, you know, you don't have a chance to compete for, for, for a postseason um, title. So, yeah, I, I think it's it's at a good spot. I, I wouldn't expand. Yeah, but let, let, let's look at this here because I, I, I can file the numbers. My, my, I might as well use them, right? The last, sure. the last you, you four did, in. You did your homework. Let's yeah, do it. Yeah, the last four in, and this was um on college game day last week, so it could have shuffled a little bit, but the last four in they had was Maryland, Washington, VCU, and LSU. Those teams, first of all, in the net are 69th, 71st, 73rd, and 89th. They have, just in terms of before you look at like the quads or anything else, here are the records. I mean, 15 and 14, 15 and 13. VCU is 19 and 9, but a nine-loss team from the Amer- from the Atlantic 10? Really? That's what you want? And then 15 and 13. They In, in quad one, two and nine, one and seven, one and three, two and eight, four and seven. Mm-hmm. You know, exactly. th- they have... Three, three of the four teams have a quad four loss. All of mm-hmm. them have a quad three loss. These aren't the type of teams we want to put in the, the NCAA tournament. You look at Miami, a team that I would argue has underachieved more than anyone else this year. Yes, they have a crap ton of talent. But the fact of the matter is they're sitting here on March 1st, 15 and 14, with a two and eight record against quad one, two quad three losses and a quad four loss. I don't a home care loss what, to Louisville. A home so. loss to Louisville is one of those. Um, I don't know if that. I, I I'd assume that's the quad four loss, but they haven't done anything that shows you other than just looking at the town what they're on paper and say they're an NCAA tournament team. They've played out the season. They've had their chance, and they could do it. So why would we reward them with a berth into a ninety six team tournament that no one's going to watch the early rounds anyways? Plus, there's the sad point of again another kind of sidetrack to it. You know, Sankey and 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 the Big Ten commissioner, they've kind of thrown out the idea of trying to go with the automatic bids if they keep the tournament 68. Mm-hmm. That's terrible also. I mean, that's what makes the NCAA tournament so great. The fact that you can get a St. Peter's or a Fairleigh Dickinson or, you know, George. Yeah, that, that's where I'll have an issue. Yeah. I, I have an issue. You know, they've set it up where if you win the conference and, you know, I coached at, a, at, a, at Southeastern Louisiana where we're one game away from from making the the tournament so you know that's the excitement for for some of those levels yeah you shouldn't have to if you win your conference tournament you're in the beauty of college basketball to me and and where it's been just opposed for so many years to college football is that every team actually has a chance in college basketball 
And if you're not in, first of all, just win your damn conference tournament, which which I, I've, I've had thoughts about that for a long time. I I, really, I think it would value the regular season more. They're not going to do this because of how exciting Champ Week is, is and how much fun Champ Week is as a perfect, as a really great lead into March Madness. But I think it would be better for the mid-majors if, if they were to take the regular season champion instead of the instead of the conference tournament champion, it would be a better barometer of who the best teams are and be able to get more of those Cinderellas out. But at, at the end of the day on that one, you're not going to sacrifice the excitement of champ. We can understand that. And unlike the first four, you're not, people, you're not people actually watch champ week. <laughs> you're not gonna get me the flip on that. So yeah. Yeah. yeah you gotta win the that, conference that, tournament. You know, it's unfortunate that now they're talking about not a guarantee in the NIT for conference champions, yeah. you know, so that, that, that's, that's an issue for me as well. So. Yeah. yeah. And for those who don't know, they're uh, taking away. It used to be, if you won your regular season in a conference, but didn't win the conference tournament and missed the NCAA tournament, you'd get an auto bid to the NIT. And that is no longer the case, which I think is equally dumb because, you know, whereas I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example this year, Indiana, if they end up being an NIT team, which first of all, if there was a 96 team tournament, I still don't think Indiana would be remotely close to it. That's how bad mm-hmm. they are, which means they probably wouldn't be an NIT team either, but you know, maybe they would put them in just because, you know, name brand, all that stuff. stuff. Um, but whereas that doesn't really mean too much to an Indiana, that would mean a lot more to, to, you know, if, you know, St. Mary's would obviously get an at large bit if they don't win the WCC this year, but if St. Mary's for some reason didn't get in, if they didn't win the WCC, that would mean a lot more to a program like that. Like I, uh, there's much better examples than St. Mary's like a Belmont or, you know, just any mid-major school you want to use. Use. I mean, I mean, Bellarmine, when they won the A-Sun tournament a few years ago and they, and they weren't allowed in the NIT, that was a big deal for them. You know, that would have been mm-hmm. really, really cool. Obviously they should have been the NCAA tournament, first of all, but then they tried to, you know, get into at least the NIT, but that that's another story for another day. But but it means a lot more to these mid-major programs than it would to like, you know, a Maryland or a Miami or an Indiana, so, someone like that to where, I don't know. I, I don't think that helps anyone. But for me, my big thought process was no one really talked about is would people even watch the preliminary round games if they expand to 96? I personally don't really think so because no one's watching the first four now. And the first four hasn't exactly, I mean, uh, of the 13 years we've had the first four, how many classics have we had? I mean, there was the, the Rutgers Notre Dame game a couple years ago. Other than that, have there really been that many great games? I mean, it, well, it's just you know, it's, it's just kind of there. I mean, they don't lock the tournament brackets for the bracket pools until Thursday at noon, anyways. The the first four is just it, it doesn't even count for the bracket pools or anything like that. So I just I don't it's see why lower level. Yeah. Comp, yeah, some of those some of those games. I mean, you're gonna have you're gonna have some of the teams that just got in, but then you're also gonna have uh, like our conference where, where you have a Texas AM Corpus Christi. And the only reason people are tuning in is because they're wagering on the game for, for, <laughs> for that standpoint. So yeah, people aren't tuning in to watch Texas Southern versus uh, Texas AM Corpus Christi, but there, you know, the, the, the ramifications of that is it's, it's, you know, people, the, the only reason you're going to get 85% of the people watching those games um, is for gambling purposes. The other 15 are just basketball junkies. So you know, that, that, that's what it comes down to. But if you add the, the teams, like you're saying, then it dilutes a lot of what happens in the NCAA tournament. Yeah. Which hopefully, you know, I'm not very optimistic because of where college sports are and who runs college sports. <laughs> um, and that's not just the NCAA. I'm talking about the college commissioners because they're really right. the ones that are pushing for this more than anyone. It, it, it seems like, especially on you know, the SEC and the big 10 
and then and to where I I really hope it doesn't happen, but I not hold my breath. I, I'll put it this way: if they do expand, hopefully it's it's quote unquote just to eighty, so that you know they can still you know keep kind of the same timeline and everything that they currently have. But well, their agenda is just to get those teams in, get more money for their conference, and that's really the bottom line. So yeah, yeah, but no matter what happens, don't take away the automatic qualifier. But we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, last thing before we get to some actual Louisville stuff. The ACC and the Big 12. I know I know our, uh, you know, Luke Hancock's had a lot of thoughts about this on the ACC network. Uh, Brad Brodell had some quotes um, earlier this week. Uh, Terrence Oglesby in the field 68 has, has been pioneering mm-hmm. this. Just had just the, the, the kind of rivalry between the two conferences that has formed formed uh, in terms of a- the ACC people being mad that the Big 12 has quote-unquote ga- gamed the net. Um, it, it, it's a complex one for me because, I mean, I've, I mean, it's been brought up a lot that the Big 12 has has kind of figured out that you can play a bunch of of uh, really, really bad teams and, and be able to inflate your efficiency numbers from that standpoint. And then you're just playing mm-hmm. each other in, in conference play. But at the same time, you look at it, there's just the eye test to me matches that the big 12 is, is, is a better conference and it's not particularly close. And, and to me, I, I kind of use the metrics to back that up. Yeah. I mean, I would disagree with you and, and with, with that you're eating your own and, and how you're the big 12 is just game in game out. You're looking at these games every night. I mean, just watching Baylor at, at TCU and, you know, Baylor coming off a three game losing streak TCU, having beaten two top 15 teams at home. And they lose at home by 12. And every game in that in that league is a monster, you know, where you're not going to have the same thing in the ACC right now. It's it's top heavy. And the Big 12 is deservedly so the, the best league out there. Yeah. And I look at it. I mean, the thing that really separates it for me is, is we can look at it and say, you know, Yes, the Big 12 has five teams in the top 20 and add 10 in the top 45. The ACC only has four in the top 45. Uh, Virginia, for what it's worth, is 46. But for me, it's less about the top and more about just the cupcakes at the bottom. I mean, the ACC has eight teams outside the top 75 in net, and the Big 12 only has two. And for me, that's not the fact that that the Big 12 is gaming the net, quote, quote unquote. That's more so 
just looking at it, I mean, there's just legitimately bad teams in the ACC. I mean, obviously, we have talked at length about Louisville. We don't need to pile them on any more than we've done the last couple months here for the purposes of this exercise. But Georgia Tech's sitting there at 12 and 16 and four quad three losses. Uh, Notre Dame's been playing better of late, but they're still six games under 500. They're laying a foundation with Micah Shrewsbury. Boston College, Florida State, Miami, Syracuse. These teams haven't been good this year. I mean, Mm -hmm. just look at the quad records. I mean, look going down the list, two and five, two and seven, two and eight, two and seven, one and six, one and seven, three and six, oh and ten. These aren't teams that are winning games against against any quality, both in and out of the conference. I get everyone says, you know, the Big 12 is is uh, or the AC's nine and three against the Big 12, all that stuff. I tried to figure out what the actual games were. I can remember, you know, North Carolina beating Oklahoma on a neutral site, the best team, the AC beating a middling big Big 12 team, Texas surviving Louisville, obviously. And MSG, I, I couldn't track down all 12 of those games to try to figure those out. But but to me, you just have so many teams at the bottom of this conference that are hurting the league more than anything else. That's that's hurting more than the non-conference scheduling or more than what, you know, you know, um, uh, Clemson does, does in, in a certain year. It, it, it's just you're at a point now with the ACC where you have this bottom that's covering half of the damn league. I mean, it's not like back in the Big East, everyone would talk about, about you know, when, when you were coaching in the Big East, you know, there was DePaul day. And, like, DePaul wasn't good. And Rutgers was really down at that point. But those are only, what, like two, three teams I've seen Hall wasn't great at that, in that point in time either. Mm-hmm. You're talking about out of a 16-team league where you're having 11 NCAA tournament teams and you have two or three down. That's not a lot. Whereas – out of a 15 team league, you have eight teams that are really, really struggling and not really even threats at this point. Pittsburgh was on the bubble for a little while, but they're they've they've uh, lost a couple games out of where they're completely off the bubble. It it, it feels like to me, it's just you got to fix that internally if you want the conference to be respected more on a national level the way it used to be, the way it really should be, and traditionally it is because the ACC. It's it's sad watching ACC basketball. These days, because well, it's just a yeah, shell you, of itself right now. Yeah, you've had coaching changes. You've had uh, the, the the lower, you know, the teams at the bottom are, are, are for no other way to put it, they're rebuilding and trying to, to figure out who they are. Where, you know, you're in the Big 12, you're going to war night in, night out. I mean, every game is, is a battle. I don't care about what their record is against, you know, um, other leagues. You, you can see it. I mean, yes, the quad wins and so on, but you can see – uh, the, you've got a majority of those teams that are capable of, of, of making the final four. So to, to talk about, well, your non-conference schedule and, and, and is going to be just loaded as well. I mean, Duke beats Louisville the other night and loses two points in the net rankings, yeah. you know, by winning by 25. So, you know, you can't, you know, think about that. So like to, to me, uh, the big 12 and the ACC, there's a huge, gap in in as far as the the level of overall what you have as far as teams in the big 12 and what you have in the ACC for sure you just you lose in in a six-year span you lose Rick Pitino Roy Williams Coach K and Jim Bayheim (laughs) that's a lot to overcome as a conference it is and throw in the fact also that you know kind of the 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 new blood carriers of the torch of Virginia Florida State Miami have all really had Virginia and Florida State the last couple years have been down. And Miami Mm -hmm. this year, again, has been very underwhelming and disappointing. 
with those three schools down, it's like, well, where are the wins going to come from? (laughs) Where's the quality in the league? It's just Mm -hmm. not there right now. But I I know the Nets not perfect, and and there are issues with it. I I do think it does favor a little bit, you know, when – because, yes, it caps a win margin by 30 points, but there's no cap for efficiency. So I think – here's the balance that I think needs to be found. Obviously, if Iowa State beats – you know, Texas Corpus Christi by 45 points, that shouldn't waver very much, but but it does help you in, in terms of efficiency numbers, which is part of what goes to the net. But at the same time, if you just say, well, we can't put those in there, UConn blasting Marquette at home by, what was it, 30 a couple of weeks ago? Mm-hmm. That absolutely needs to matter that they won that game by 30. That is completely different than beating a top five Marquette team at the time by just one or two points. <laughs> so I feel like you need to find yeah. a medium there, but, in, but I, I, think I, I don't know. That's, you know, it, it's you, you just the other night, uh, Tennessee and Texas A&M and Tennessee for, you know, they're up 30 and they're still, attacking and still scoring with 20 something seconds to go you, you hope it doesn't get to the point where coaches are just saying well it's the net rankings and and that's why we had to run up the score that becomes like aau um pool play where you have to yeah. win by a certain number of, of points and, and whatnot so we certainly don't want basketball to turn into that because you know that that is only you know you have coaches and players you know we were talking about uh storming the court but you have someone dunk a basketball late or go up and score with 10 seconds to go, and that'd be a lot worse than storm you know, storming the court as far as what what happens uh, between the teams and the coaches as well. Yeah, the coaches um, coach would probably get a lot of heat if a star player gets hurt late in the game when when it's already been very well decided that would mm-hmm. not be ideal. So let, let, let's do this, coach. Um, Eric Crawford wrote WDRB a couple days ago uh, after after Louisville lost to Duke, basically writing, you know, 14 days. There's 14 days left in the Kenny Payne era, pretty much. And it, it seems like we're getting towards that end to where everyone, pretty much everyone can see the writing on the wall here. Like, look, this this isn't going anywhere. It's 12 and 48 in the last two years. Years you're, You just surpassed 20 losses for the second year in a row and only the third time in program history. I just, you have the three regular season home games left. You have whatever happens in the ACC tournament, but we've almost, and kind of asking two questions in one here, it feels like it's, it's the end for KP, which I'm, I've been on the record many times. I think, you know, it, it's unfortunate, but at the end of the day, you got to, you know, win basketball games if you're going to gonna continue to be the coach and 12 and 48 just isn't good enough at, at Louisville. It's just not. Um, and also from the standpoint of the coaching search that I feel like we've gotten so numb and, and the fan base has gotten so numb that we've like, like Mick Cronin, for example. Early on, very popular. They Cronin UCLA had some struggles earlier in the year. People jump off the bandwagon. Now I see, you know, Ty Spalding of um of of um Cardinal mm-hmm. uh, Authority, Cardinal Sports. I don't forget which one he is, but like he had a quote. Yeah, authority. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Cardinal Authority. Yes, right. But he had a quote talking about how how you know that now Louisville, Louisville could get around the buyout, all that stuff. And now everyone's back in on Cronin. Um, obviously, Musselman's had his flirtations. Um, you know, people have said, you know, Nate Oates would listen. All this different stuff that we've done. 
I'm honestly just kind of tired of it at this point. Oh, I'm just kind of tired of everything. I'm just ready for some action to happen on it so that we can move forward here. But just big picture, looking at Louisville, it, it's been very, we're very much in, in the apathy stages of of this, aren't we? Yeah, just being on sports radio here, um, it, it's at the point where, yeah, fans are apoplectic and, and the apathy is there. And it's like, it's a shame. And, and you talked about Coach Payne's record and there's there's mitigating factors because the Yum Center with attendance and then you're talking about concessions, you're talking about parking, you're talking about restaurants, you're talking about downtown. So that's been something that's been discussed as well. But yeah, it's 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 coaches fatigue around here with it's the, the flavor of the week with names. Um, with all the names you mentioned, look, um, there's some really good coaches out there. If there was a change to be made, um, it, I just don't think that the University of Louisville can just go get one of those up and comers. It's probably got to be a name um, because that's just you know you you might have a diamond in the rough and and you know just throwing out a name just because I'm friends with them, like a Josh shirts at Indiana state, you know, he's done a marvelous job and he's going to, he's going to get some offers. He's going to, you know, if, if they win the conference for sure. But I think in this situation, Louisville needs to, if when that change, and if that change is made, then it, you're probably going to see one of the names that's been, um, you know, uh, talked about and been circulating throughout Louisville media. Um, there might be somebody that's not on the radar, but that's had a lot of success as well. Interesting. Interesting. I look at it and because we've had these same four or five names of Cronin, Musselman, Oates, mm-hmm. um, Jerome Tang, Dusty May kind of get thrown out there. Yep. And it, it, it's been weird because none of them have had particularly great seasons, which has been kind of funny. Um, I know everyone kind of panicked after Kentucky blew the doors off of Alabama um, last week. And, oh, well, the Oats can't be the coach anymore. They lost to Kentucky. I was like, well, you didn't yeah. realize he had won three of the previous five against UK if you want to use that. Right, reason, Jack. Right? <laughs> right. Yeah, but, that's uh, it, that's it, what it, it's been, like the, the, the flavor of the week. If somebody somebody wins, if somebody loses, then they, they move up and down the board, whether it's you know, Chris Beard from from uh, Mark Blankenbanker or, you know, uh, uh, you know, Scott Drew's name is 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 up there, too. So, yeah, you've just got a bunch of names. Um, but again, I think that the university is going to do their due diligence and, and, you know, might not just be. I think this is an important hire, obviously, for the university. Um, again, I'll preface it with if and when, you know, a change is made, but. Um, I think it's going to be, it might not be one of those names, but I'm certainly sure it's going to be somebody that's very big on the college basketball scene. Yeah. And I think honestly, at a baseline, you could do almost, you can hire almost anyone out there and they'll, and they'll give you a baseline that's been better than what it's been the last two, three years. Which I know that's not what Louisville fans want. They want to be really, really great. But like, I feel like no matter what you do, it, it, I can't imagine getting any worse or staying as bad as it is right no, now. It, it, it'll no. get better no matter what, I feel like. But like, I think which it's going to be a bigger name because yeah. that's – you just – you have to go that route. You, you just they, – they, you know, and that's that's not what I feel. I feel that there's there's tons of really, really good coaches out there um, that would do a, a bang-up job. But Yeah, and, and, I, I, and I say that as a positive. Like, I, mm-hmm. I say that as – 
as you know, it, no, uh, no matter who you bring in, I feel like it will at least get better. But, and, and Josh Hurd, I like the fact that there's not a clear front runner for Josh Hurd because we look at it. What was the last time Louisville had an actual coaching search? Cause this, this last time it was KP, KP, KP the, the time before that. Oh, Christy Max from Louisville. <laughs> of course, Chris Max coming. And, and, and it was very, you know, Chris Mack is Cedric, even yet when they hired Rick Pitino, it was Tom Jurd seemed very zeroed in on Pitino from the beginning. It's been a very long time, you know, even on the football side, it's been Brom, 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 each of the last two times Louisville's had a coaching search on that end. I think it'll be very refreshing and very good for the program to actually go through and have a coaching search for the first time. I, I don't remember when they hired Denny Crum. I obviously was not alive at the time, but I could imagine that that was an actual search uh, to where it would be something different for Louisville than the athletic director having an immense amount of pressure to hire one specific dude. And I think that'll allow Josh Hurd to really go through and vet candidates, interview everyone, and be able to make who he thinks will be the best man to coach the program and have it be his decision, let him own it, instead of it being you know, someone that everyone's been saying for three, four months, it, this is going to be the dude, like it's been the last couple times. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, we, we don't know what's going on behind closed doors. We don't know if 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 uh, Josh Hurd has zeroed in on anybody. But yeah, it's uh, this one is not cut and dry as far as who will be the next uh, coach if and when a change is made. What would be what would be a couple traits, no matter who it is, that you would want the next coach to have? Um, just like it, it really for, for, for any program, uh, you, you want someone that's going to identify his plan and what is, what his plan is. And again, it starts off right away with recruiting, understanding the portal, understanding how to get players here, having those relationships. And then, you know, look, I, I don't want to just repeat what, what people say, but it, it, it really is the truth. You got to have an identity of what a team is. You can't say, well, this is what this Louisville basketball team is trying to do. You watch Alabama, you know it's analytics. They're shooting threes. They're getting to the rim. They're defending uh, well. You know, it depends. Last depends year they had on a lot the year. More, <laughs> right. Last year they had pros and they had more length, so it's easier. Now more of a team concept. They do what they can, but that style of basketball is always going to be exciting. You have a guy, and again, just Mick Cronin, they're going to defend the crap out of you. Every basket, it's going to, you know, they're contesting shots, they're contesting dribbles, they're contesting cuts and passes. For me, um, you know, I, I, I'm i a defensive guy. I want someone that's going to say, okay, you know, I, I, I think you can get the best of both worlds, play really fast. I'm a big believer in that style of basketball. But you got to recruit to that talent. You got to have a roster construction. You got to understand where you want players from. Whoever comes in here should go to the portal and get at least two guys who have played 100 college basketball games who can be tone setters for this team and understand what it takes to win and that just doesn't mean in in games every practice you got to have guys understand you know how to bring it day in day out for young guys to say oh well, shit I, I've got to bring it if I don't I'm, I'm in trouble here because I'm not going to play so for me having a defensive mindset you know it's tough for me sometimes to, to when we break down these games and, and just see some of the lapses on the defensive end and then offensively, play fast, but you've got to build your roster to that. And you've got to understand now, all right, hey, we play, we got guards, we're going to attack and we're going to press and we do all those type of things. So um, one of the reasons Coach Patino hired me, I, that style pressing and then really being efficient offensively, 
um, that's a, a nice formula for successful basketball. Yeah, I know uh, Louisville fans definitely love full court pressure too. I yeah. mean, that that's something that, I mean, I, I obviously, I grew up watching the Patino teams doing that and Denny yeah. Grubb before then. That's been something that's. As you guys know by now, we've partnered with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks and we'll have special offers for the listeners and the viewers of the Field of 68 as we all get ready for the best month of the year, March madness if you haven't signed up for betmgm yet you can use the bonus code field 150 and you will get 150 dollars in free bets on your first wager with betmgm regardless of whether or not you win that first bet here's the best part all you need to do is deposit and bet five dollars of your hard-earned money this is how you make it work download the betmgm app and sign up using the bonus code field 150 that's field 150 deposit at least five dollars and place your first wager on any game you will receive up to 150 dollars in bonus bets regardless of the outcome of your bet just make sure you use that bonus code field 150 when you sign up and remember BetMGM is now available in one wallet in select states. As a New Jersey resident, this is super convenient when I have to go cover games in Philly or New York, which happens quite a bit. When you cross state borders, you just log into your existing account and fire away. You don't have to create a new account in each state. It's easy, it's simple, and it's clean. And most importantly, we have some fun stuff coming up for the conference tournaments and for the NCAA tournament. Bet insurance tokens college hoops odds boost and my personal favorite a nice little parlay boost here and there so download the BetMGM app and sign up today big news guys i am thrilled to announce that we have partnered with autograph a company founded by the goat himself tom brady the autograph fandom app gives you access to the best college hoops content fan contests and exclusive rewards like discounted tickets, all for doing the things that diehard fans like you already do, following your favorite team in the news and listening to podcasts just like this one. When Tom, and yes, I am calling him Tom, we're on a first name basis these days, co-founded Autograph, he had one mission in mind, change the fan experience for the better. It works like this. You get all of your college hoops content you want in one place. You get articles from your favorite writers, pods from your favorite hosts, contests from your favorite creators, all on the feeds and the sites that you already enjoy. But instead of having to go to all these different places, it all comes to you in one spot, the autograph fandom map. But here's the best part. The more content that you consume, the higher you rank in the app. As you consider the level up in status on the app, you can unlock unique rewards curated exclusively for you. So download the free autograph app in the app store and use the referral code F68, that's F68, or tap in at the link in the description below or in the podcast app of your choosing to start earning points for doing something as normal as listening to this very podcast. This is kind of off topic, but wh why do you think that full court pressure has kind of fallen out of flavor for a lot of coaches? Is it just the the hand checking rules that 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 were brought on up a couple years ago, or I guess at this point eight nine years ago? Uh, I just feel like you know, even you watch St. John's. I mean, Greg, do, do, Coach Medina doesn't press like he used to. I mean, you just don't see Shaka Smart Marquette doesn't press like he used to at VCU. You just don't see it nearly as much as we did even, you know, 10, 12 uh, years ago. I think it's cyclical, but I also think, you know, 
Coach Patino brought in 11 guys, and he understands. You know, they're playing their matchup zone. They'll press. They'll, they'll still extend their, their, their defense. Their pickup points are, are still high. But, you know, you just have a bunch of new guys that understand schematically having worked for Coach Patino and, and for myself teaching that. Yeah, it's going to take time. And then, honestly, you know, you you know, some of the the blue bloods and the high majors, you get you get players that haven't been asked to defend at that level, and now you're asking them to learn how to do it, sustain it full court. In addition to their offense, that's an issue. Um, teams like Marquette, yeah, Shaka was at, you know that that was always havoc was his thing, um, but he also understands like the players he has. They they've had some injuries, but um, and and. Don't let me butcher this name, Jack. Don't is Koenig the Tyler Koenig? Tyler Kolek. All right, all right. Yeah, the point too bad. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he, he's 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 a good angle defender. He's good in the half court. He's very crafty, but you might wear him out. You might get him in foul trouble and so on. So you know, it depends. It's I, I do believe it's cyclical. You know, sometimes you recruit and you can bring in some other guys that that can play that way. So I don't think it's dead and gone. Um, to quote Ti. So I think that we have a chance to see a lot more pressure. You know, um, I just think it, 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 it'll fluctuate. Yeah, I will say, I mean, one thing Marquette especially does really well these days is they still pressure the ball a lot and heat you up mm-hmm. in the half court. And I think that's kind of where it's gone to more instead of picking up full 94 feet. It, it's let's, let's make you as uncomfortable as we possibly can in the half court, try to push the offense out. All, all mm-hmm. those things we, we, we uh, excuse me, have talked about. A lot. I mean, and one of the things you said, like, like you know, Alabama, you know, it's, it, it, it's very – I would have loved to have seen this Alabama team if Charles Bediaco came back because that was a very big piece for them defensively yeah. last year, and he yeah. kind of unexpectedly turned pro after last season. And they're, they're, they really, really miss his rim protection. Oh, and they, just that was huge. Everything no he does on the defensive end. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I wonder because they're so, so good offensively. If they had that stabilizing force down low, how much better that would make them be? Because oh, they, be, they can't defend it. <laughs> right. I mean, they, they understand who they are. They're going to just – it's almost a la Kentucky. We're just yeah. going to get out and go, and, and we're going to outscore you. And, and and for everybody to poo-poo it and say, well, you can't win the tournament that way, that's not the case. You really want to be hot and playing well offensively and be good enough to to get stops, critical stops when you need it. But you better make sure your offense is 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 in gear and going. You saw it last year with Connecticut. They were yeah. just so consistent offensively. Shot the ball well, high percentage shots, good field goal percentage. I mean, that's a formula for the NCAA tournament for sure. Yeah, and absolutely. You, you think of you know Miami last year as well. The run they made oh, exactly. it was yeah. it was all it was all you know they they upset uh-huh. Houston just because they were able to spread the floor, take advantage of. Uh, Houston's trapping be able to score at a very high rate for 40 mm-hmm. minutes and yep. be able to really kind of blow out Houston. I mean, Villanova back in 2016, 2018, won two national titles of offense. I mean, you got to be yeah. good enough on the defensive end, but I feel like the, uh, the the old adage of defense wins championships. Yes, you need the defense. You need to go a long way, but a lot of times the great offense trumps the great defense, especially with how the rules are set up these days mm-hmm. in basketball to where, where, and, and, it's a lot more entertaining to watch too than watching Virginia beat Wake Forest 49 to 47 for for example a couple of weeks ago. Kentucky in that I don't know you saw this Kentucky in that game against Alabama, which first of all, don't run with Kentucky if you want a chance to beat Kentucky. You're just not going to win at that point. Even when Alabama's the best offense in the sport, they just don't have the dudes. 
Nobody has the pure talent, I think, to be able to run an up-and-down, up-tempo game with Kentucky this year. You're just not going to win, especially if Kentucky's able to put together an 8-10, to 12-minute heck against Bama. They put together probably a 15-minute stretch of actual good defense. But if they're able to put together an 8-10-minute to 10-minute stretch of defense, Kentucky's going to win most of the games they play. But especially if you're going up-tempo, you increase possessions. I just don't see how anyone beats that team when they're hitting shots. And they're normally hitting shots. I mean, obviously, they still have the defensive struggles. But to me, where I see that they have a very high variance on how far they can go in March this month. But but to me, it all comes down to you got to slow the game down, muck it up, and really try to physically take it to them. You're not going to win an up-and-down game against Kentucky. They're just that, – that they're so good at that style of a game. Yeah, it, it's not easy. I mean, what you're saying, uh, the how fast they play, how they spread the floor, you know, really, um, if they're in a groove, and the way they can they we can attack you and get paint touches and kick and 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 the depth they have yeah it's 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 going to be tough I think they're yeah I think they're going to do some damage in the NCAA tournament for sure I'm a, yeah. I'm a fan of 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 how they're playing I know everybody's no one wants to see them nobody wants to play a team like that right right I mean and they're, they're going to be really really fun to watch. I guess one other thing is like Houston's made their big push now to where everyone's kind of, you know, argued for the past couple months of, Oh, UConn, Purdue, UConn, Purdue. It's like, Hey guys, we're 24 and three in the best conference in the country. I mean, maybe someone should be talking about us. They're not number one, in the eight people. They had that great game against Baylor last Saturday. They, they followed that up or, or they had a home win over Iowa state before that. Yeah. They followed up with a, with a win over Cincinnati on the road this past weekend. Do you think on, on the other end, we were just talking about it. I mean, I love Jamal Shedd. He is arguably yeah, he the is, best point guard in yeah. the country. He is, he as, is something else. He is mm-hmm. tough as nails. <laughs> He's incredible. Watch LJ Cryer, the Baylor transfer. Mm-hmm. Obviously, um, Emmanuel Sharp has come on to kind of give him a three-headed monster in the backcourt there. I'm ready to buy in. Like, I, I mean, I, I picked him actually to win. I, they're my preseason national title pick, so I guess I was always bought in. But Look at you. Look but at I, you. I, I think I'm – I don't know if they'll win the whole thing, but I'm able to trust them now offensively to where I think they can do enough most games to where if they face a high power offense, they can do enough on the offensive end to where they can win with that defense of theirs, which is the best in the country at this point. That's a good point by you. Trust. Um, I trust them offensively this year. In the past, it was like, all right, we're just going to bully you to death and and just out rebound and get every offensive rebound. And when that doesn't happen, you know, they were they weren't Anemic. scoring at a clip, right? They weren't scoring at a clip that you needed to do to win some of these games. So for this year though, um I, I would think I'm 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 with you. I buy stock on having watched them play um quite a few games. I, I really like that team. They're still defending at such a high level, but they can they can score that, you know, and 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 keep up with some of those teams. So yeah, um, you know, you you, you might be spot on with your uh with your you, with your prediction. Yeah, I'm not right very often, and I'm sure I won't be again this year. But you know what? We we give it a shot. I mean, I, I mean to be fair, I also had Michigan State and Arkansas in my, in my preseason final four. Well, so don't mention that, that's that, not Jack. as great. Jack, no one's no one's going to go back. You just talk about Houston. Yeah, no I one, mean, no one, no one's fact checking right now. So you're you're fine. You should have just talked about Houston. You should that's have fair. Add, you added yourself. Hey, right there, I, 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 I'm transparent. I'll tell you what I'm right. I'll tell you what I'm wrong. I'll own up to it. That's what it, you know. Because at the end of the day, we're all just kind of having fun. But but last thing before we get here, a couple couple fun ones this weekend. I mean, I guess I'm 
I'm sorry, you know, I, I know people, you know, this is technically a Louisville podcast, and we talk about the coaching search stuff some. I mean, if you want anything on the actual Louisville Duke game, I mean, Louisville was down four at the eight-minute timeout, and they gave up a 9-0 run where they gave up an offensive rebound to pull up three, and then, you know, just – It'll bet it'll never double digits after that. It just I I I've I fought so hard all year, coach. Like I wanted because like I got into this to talk about the games and I want to talk about the games, but I just I don't think there's much of an appetite for it at this stage, to be honest. Um, and it it's it's hard to watch at this point. It, yeah, it, 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 it just is. I mean, I know that's what we've done most of the years, really react to the games, and that's what well, at, at my core, what I want to do, when, especially when it comes to this podcast and everything. But at some point, you know, we made it to March 1st before I, I waved the white, the white flag on it. I, and I really have waved the white flag on it at this point. And that's better than what I thought I'd do when we were doing our first episode and they had just lost to Kentucky Wesley. And I was like, holy crap, how are we, we going to talk about everything? We made it. We made yeah, it. But, you know, we did pretty good on that front, but – well, I would say if Louisville ends up making some sort of run, we'll, we'll, this is a Louisville podcast. We're going to talk about Louisville as we see fit. But I think the bigger picture will probably dominate this month as well as as uh, the the national conference. We'll, we'll, we'll mix in a little bit more national stuff, I feel like, just because it's March Madness. There's the brackets. There's all that stuff. And damn it, I would I would not look at myself in the eye straight if I did a, if I did any type of basketball podcast and didn't talk about the NCAA tournament, no matter what. So we'll have fun with that. But before we get out of here, Coach, let's just run through a few of these games on on Saturday. Um, obviously Louisville Syracuse, but but I mean Marquette at Creighton, I am fascinated by two oh, two yeah. of the best offenses in the country. How Creighton Creighton was uh. Did Creighton win the game in Marquette? I know when the overtime went down to the wire. I'm trying to remember. It was a really good game. I'm looking it up real quick. Um, Jack, you're supposed to have those numbers for I me. know. Uh, the, uh, Marquette won 72-67. That's what it was. But it was a really, really good game. But And you I'm, see the score there. Like Both teams, you mentioned about Marquette, they're still going to be very good in the half court defensively. Creighton, their team defense, their understanding, their coverage on ball screens, the, the, the way they – they're connected. They're they're better than than people think from that standpoint. And, and even look, you know, their game against St. John's, you, you just see it late, just how proficient offensively they just they you know they they weren't making shots, but they they run some really good stuff. That's a heck of a game, and, and two teams that could make a long run, you know, into this tournament for sure. Yeah, St. John's did a great thing against Creighton in that game, and. They really, really attacked that drop coverage that Creighton plays, and, and they they forced they did something that almost nobody does um, against Creighton. I mean, Ryan Cogbrenner's back to back Big East Player of the Year, first guy since mm-hmm. Patrick Ewing to do that. So that's pretty that's pretty hard to do, but but they were able to take him out of that drop coverage where he started hedging. And when they were in drop coverage, Zeta Jenkins, Jordan Dinkle, those guards were hitting mid range jumpers. Yeah, when they, they hedged it, they were able, yeah. they were able to get all mm-hmm. the way to the rim. I think that's the big Achilles heel of a team like that. When you have when you have guards that can hit that pull-up jumper. I know that's very against modern basketball and analytics, all that stuff, but at some time sometimes the best offense you can get is just what the defense gives you. And you got to take what they give you. If they're giving you a, a an easy step in 12, 15 footer, and you have a guy like Dana Shakins or Marquette this this um this weekend with Tyler Kolek, Cam Jones. You'd be wise to take it and hit that at a 50-60% clip like St. John's did, did right. last weekend. And that's that might be the next evolution 
toward back towards the mid range game to where everyone you know so focused on trying to take away the three, trying to take away you know dunks and layups, where it's like, oh yeah. If I'm wide open from 10 feet, I'm going to hit this shot more often than not. <laughs> not that, well, you'd that. be surprised how many teams change what they do come into a tournament time. So if they know a team is, is going to try and attack you through the middle and try and look for mid-range shots, whether it's, you know, downing on the side, whether it's, you know, just more of a flat corral than just a drop, there's different little things that teams will do come NCAA tournament to make it not to make you more left-handed and not as comfortable in what you're seeing on film, they'll change some things up. I mean, that, that just happens. We, we would do that Louisville, but most teams will do that. They'll, you know, they're still going to be who they are, but just little wrinkles that might take something away and might make you think about what you're doing. And that does affect you offensively. Would you guys save stuff for the NCAA tournament specifically to try to keep no, it off tape or? We really wouldn't save anything, and, and there's no secrets. It's like, you know, you don't – but what you do is you work on things. You you really – the film study by all these coaches come tournament time. You know, I, I remember just even Draymond Green would always go two hard dribbles to his left and cross over, and we would talk about that. Every time he's going left, he's crossing back over, spinning, and we actually got either a steal or a deflection on, on, on one of those moves. So, really, it's a lot of film study and then saying, okay – you, you're not really saving anything, Jack, but you're saying, all right, you've got to be, you've got to be confident enough in, in what your team does and to adapt and be adjust and maybe adjust something, just a little wrinkle and say, okay, this might work. And we are going to try this out and so on. Just like we did against Florida. Um, you know, we were in our, our matchup zone and we switched to man um, just because of how much time they had spent attacking that zone. So really we had switched, but you know, it, it really isn't, um, things that you're going to save. I do remember, and again, Rick Majerus would go uh, diamond and uh, he went diamond and two against Arizona, um, you know, and he just, he was like, I have no idea if this is going to work. I'm going to give it a shot. So I don't think it's something you save. It's something that maybe you say, okay, we're going to try this formula and see if it works. Can't live in your fears when you're coaching the NCAA tournament. That's fair. That's very fair. I also want to ask, since you brought it up, that Michigan State game in 2012 held them to what, 44 points? Mm-hmm. <laughs> number one seed what was i mean obviously you brought up with Draymond green but what was the defensive game plan to just suffocate them the way you guys were able to in that game I, honestly look it, our guys were just you you had point pressure when you had those guards that we did that just were so pesky and made things so difficult and honestly it was just it was just a, a great team effort now you're asking me to remember something from you know, uh, a lot of hey, details hey, from hey, 10 you, years ago. I'm you, getting older. You started it. You started it when you when gave me the Draymond Green detail right off the but, bat. <laughs> yeah, I do remember that part. But honestly, I can tell you that I don't remember anything that was, okay, we've got to do this, do that. We just, we were who we were. And and the way we got after it was just incredible. I think the score of the half was like 18-14, if I'm not mistaken. I think Jared Swapshire hit a shot like uh you know, at the uh, at the at the buzzer at the end of the half, and it was like a 18, 14, 2016 game, something like yeah. that. Gorgie Jang hit yeah. his first career three in that game. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Foretelling a, a world yeah. where he became a forty five percent three point shooter in the NBA right. a couple of years ago, you know, yeah. which is just crazy. But let, let me ask you this out on a broader sense with Rick Pitino. What or I guess makes since he's still obviously coaching at St. John's, but everyone always talked about the Sweet Sixteen record and how dominant he was when you would give him a week to prepare. What made him so good in those spots 
with the preparation and the film study. And I'm sure everything that he did to prepare a team to have so much success in that setting on one of the biggest stages that you can walk into. Well, I think he'd be the first to say just putting his staff together because you had so many people who are just grinding and, and just looking for every detail. It's like, you know, you're looking for a needle in a haystack. So, you know, Coach Coach Patino would watch a lot of film, but the just the, the amount of time and prep that we would do with film study weren't a big paper scout team. We would watch so much film, do it on the floor, show it, and be just it just drive that point home. Every time they're on the right side, here comes a step-up screen. You know, they've set 22 step-up screens on the right side. You're doing that for four or five days. How many times? 22. We'll show them film. We'll show all 22 step-up screens. We'll go over it. What's going to happen if he gets the ball here on this? Here comes the re-screening. Here comes a step-up screen. So whatever it was, just drilling those points home. I'm not saying other programs don't do it, but the amount of time that we would spend as as coaches just to understand those details and you know, and I brought that with me wherever I've been. Before we get out of here, I, we kind of got off top there, but a couple more games I wanted to go through real quick. Okay. Um, we got Kansas at Baylor. Kansas mm-hmm. has not been the same team since Kevin McCullers had that bone bruise issue to where he, he played in the Houston game, but he's missed, I think, yep. four of his last five, six of the last seven, something like that. Um, how worried are you about Kansas and – and uh, they have a really tough test going into Baylor, a team that seems to be, even though they lost that Houston game, seems to be playing better basketball here as we get get down towards the late stages of the season. Yeah, they played great against TCU. I watched that game. Yeah. They were just, they were really good. Um, Kansas, I, I, I still think they're they're good enough to make the Final Four. I think they they, you know, when you have Dickerson, you have some of the pieces around him. I, I I'm not overly concerned. I, I think. You know, they'll, they're, they're Kansas, you know, they're, 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 they'll, they'll <laughs> Termad, do, the moment you doubt yeah. yourself is the moment you're wrong. <laughs> exactly <laughs> right. So right. Co- come the, the big 12 tournament, they're going to be just fine. And then in the tournament, you know, they'll be in the sweet 16. I mean, yep. and then we'll see where they go from there. I have no doubts. I, I don't. Yep. Kansas has lost. Um, uh, That's the easiest way one, to put it, Jack. Yep. Kansas is Kansas. Yep. I mean, they've lost one non-conference game. Or I guess two non-conference games the last two years. One of them came to Purdue. Mm-hmm. And, or rather, one of them came to Marquette, rather, because Marquette okay. beat Kansas in Maui. And then and then Purdue beat yeah. Marquette in the championship. Right. And the other one was Arkansas in last year's round of 32, the NCAA tournament. Of course, if you remember... Bill Self didn't coach in that game because he had hard issues. So they've lost one Bill Self coach game in the non And they, the and they had – they yeah. were up at the half and they had control that game. Yeah. And um, they just – you know, it just got away from him late. And I will say um, they do they do need to get McCuller back, though, because he was playing at a first-team All-American level most of the year, and he's just does so much for them. He completes mm-hmm. that backcourt defensively with DeWan Harris. Probably, I would argue that's the best defensive backcourt in college basketball. Well, um, uh, the best tandem anyways. And he was shooting the ball a lot better this year. He creates plays for himself, for others. He rebounds the ball well. He's a do-everything type guard for them. And if they're going to have any sort of run to make, they need to get mm-hmm. him back healthy and playing the way he was early this year. Baylor's defense, I think, has stepped up the last couple of weeks. They've really kind of figured things out on that. And I feel like well, they've, been, they've changed up their defense. They're playing a more bit. zone now. Yeah, they are yeah. playing more zone. And I, I remember even during the broadcast, we're talking about like David Mitchell told Coach Drew, we are playing man. That's who we are. And 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 they stayed with it throughout their 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 championship run. And as we both know, you know, Coach Drew was a big zone guy yes, to start. He was. 
And so like he's mixing it up and their zone they're they're it doesn't matter what defense you play. People have to understand you have to do it hard. You have to do it right. Guys have to understand when the zone slides, where they are, and the effort that you have to have on every single play. And you see that from Baylor. And, you know, to hold a TCU team to 42 points, I mean, yeah, they're, they're, they're good defensively. They're freshmen. They're playing really well. Um, you know, they're, they're another team that I won't count out. Yeah, we talked about them a little bit earlier, but Tennessee and Alabama, the SEC regular season title will essentially get decided in Tuscaloosa on Saturday night there. I, I, I'm fighting this urge, Coach, because every year I fade Rick Barnes in the NCAA tournament, <laughs> <laughs> and that's nothing against him personally, but – they just there's the track record there. That, that, that's that, that's the, what uh, I'll leave it out. <laughs> he's the anti-Bill self, right? So yes. like you know, yeah. and and you would say this Tennessee team has it all. This is the team that can make a deep run. And, and yeah, and those demons are there for him too. You think he's not aware of that? Yeah. Um and so you just kind of want to as a coach, you kind of want to like distance that and just really focus and say, Hey, this is a new year, nothing you know, that doesn't matter, and and so on, because that team is really good. Um yeah. And if they if they slip up this year, I mean, this is as good as a year as any for him to make his run to the Final Four. I mean, look, if you were to say, look, Tennessee uh, is going to be in the Final Four, I, I wouldn't argue that. But yeah, they've got to win. Yeah. Uh, and the difference is they got they got they got Dalton Gannett, who he is. Uh, I, I'm sure I'm sure I mean, he saw that game against Auburn on on uh, on on Tuesday night where he's special. Yeah, he's incredible. I mean, what was it? 25 points in the last 12 minutes. <laughs> That game after it looks like he's Auburn averaging was... 20 for the year. Yeah. He's, he's he just does so many things and and the way they rebound the basketball and how physical they are. And now they have, you know, this isn't where the in, in those teams were just so physical, they beat you up like they did last year, the Duke, yeah. you know. But sometimes that scoring prowess wasn't there. This year they have some guys that can really make some shots and and can, can get to the to the rim. He can create. So like they've got. They've got the pieces. This is definitely, um, you know, and that's that's. We'll see what uh, um, what happens with this year's squad for sure. Yeah, and, and he's really connect. Really, has let you know guys like Vescovy and and Zakai Ziegler and, and Josiah Jordan James really yep. play their more natural secondary scoring roles a lot better instead of putting all the pressure mm-hmm. on those dudes to go out and score. You know, 18, 20, 22 a night, needing one of those guys to do it instead. You know. Connect, you can do your thing, and we can fill in the gaps. And right. and we're still going to punch you in the mouth defensively as well. Connect's improved on that end, too, uh, throughout the year, year uh, too, because he wasn't known as much of a defender going into the year, and he's really gotten better. And where I, I, I think uh, Tennessee's going to go in and win that game. I mean, if Alabama comes in, hits, you know, 18 threes and drops 95 points, no one would really be that stunned, let's be honest, because of how that offense goes. But I trust – I mean, Tennessee just put 92 up on an Auburn team that's, well, that's top five that's in the country. That's a great point uh, defensively. You made. They can score two. Yeah, that's exactly right. Like you talked about, Alabama puts up 95. It's not past this Tennessee team to put up 96. So yeah. this is the type of team this year that if you told me someone's going to score 95, they're done. But this year, this team is capable of making those type of offensive spurts and runs that can keep them in those type of games. Yeah, I mean, just looking at, you know, year over year, the Tennessee-Auburn games in Knoxville, 
Last year, what was the, the game was in the 40s. It was mm-hmm. one of the worst games, one of the worst close games you will ever watch. And this year, 92 to 84, both teams going up and down. And again, beating really, really good defenses on the offensive end. Both those teams defend the crap out of the ball. And just so much fun to watch. I mean, it's going to be a loaded weekend in college hoops. It's going to be an incredible month in the sport. Best month of the year, March Madness. We'll be talking mm-hmm. about it. And of course, the Louisville uh, coaching search and all that stuff as it potentially maybe inevitably develops here in the next few weeks as well. For Mark Lieberman, I'm Jack Grossman. We'll catch you next week here on Floyd Street's Finest.